I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A teenaged girl with a giant heart. This is a person who just wanted to be loved. Savagely attacked and left for dead in the swamp. People said that they heard screaming. It was torture. But even with a boatload of suspects. She did know some details that had never been released. Investigators are left high and dry. Something until the victim's own diary reveals a sordid secret. And when I read those words, I said, that's our guy. It's a foggy winter night in Largo, Florida. Mist rises over a swampy lake behind the last few houses of a sleepy subdivision. It's a little bit of a wilderness. It was kind of dark and dank and swampy looking. It was a marshy area, definitely snakes. Uh, probably a gator or two. Near a dense stand of palmetto and subtropical vegetation, a violent, watery burial is underway. In the 1970s, the small West Florida town of Largo, like much of the state, is growing fast. The whole area just exploded with growth. A lot of folks moving in, and with that, you get a lot of uh, uh, criminal activity. It's Monday evening, December 13th, 1976. Jimmy Carter's only just been elected president, and Ed and Norma Hutto are having a quiet night at home. I would characterize the, the Hutto family as definitely working class folks, real down to earth, care about the family. The Huddos have five children, and right now it's their youngest, 16-year-old Carol, who's on their mind. After getting several phone calls, All right, well, I'll see you then. Carol heads out on foot around 8 p.m. to visit her friend, Denise. Hey, guys, I'm leaving. I'll be back by 10, okay? All right, 10 o'clock sharp. All right. Have fun, sweetie. All right, I will, Dad. Two hours later, Carol's 10 o'clock curfew comes and goes, and her parents begin to worry. What time is it? It's quarter to 11. I don't understand. I told her 10 o'clock sharp, she's, she's never late. 
Denise. Hi, it's Mrs. Hutto. Is Carol still there? No? The minutes tick by, and still no Carol. So when Norma's 17-year-old son Jerry Irwin gets home from his date... Carol! No, Mom, it's Jerry. She decides it's time to take action. Have you seen your sister? She's not home? No, she's supposed to be home at 10. It's only like 11. You think we could go look for her? The Huttos comb the neighborhood, checking some of the spots where Carol and her friends hang out. Denise's house is right over there. All right. right here? But no one has seen her. Finally, at 2 a.m., Norma calls the police. Yes, hi. Um, I want to report a missing person. It's my daughter. She's, she's 16. Yeah, well, she was supposed to be home hours ago. She always said Carol was a really good girl. She obeyed her, her folks. She played by the rules. The police tell Norma not to worry just yet. Teenage girls run off all the time. What do you mean you can't, you can't search for somebody until 24 hours has gone by? Thank you. The next morning, Carol's best friend, Lee Nikolsky, pulls up at the end of her driveway to take her to school. When I went to pick her up, she was, you know, not there. And so um, I went on to school. And then from about second period and in school, I got a little pink slip to come to see the dean of girls. In the dean's office, Lee is surprised to find her best friend's mom, who she also calls mom. Clearly, Norma's upset. Please tell me where Carol is right now. I don't know where Carol is. You better not be covering for her or you're in deep trouble. I'm not lady. covering for her. What's Look. going on? I'm freaking out at this point. So I said, Mom, I do not know where Carol is. Please tell me what's going on. Honey, Carol didn't come home last night. Baby, look, try to think. Just try to think. Did she say anything to you? No. Lee joins the family to search for her best friend. Carol! Breaker, Breaker, this is Blondie. Wonder Woman, what's your 20? We were CBers, and, you know, her handle was the Wonder Woman. So the first thing I did was try to get on the CB and see if anybody had heard, you know, where she was at. Does anyone have eyes on Wonder Woman? And, um, nothing. Carol! Carol! We walked the neighborhood. We walked the same path that she walked. We were all out on foot trying to, to find her. Around 4 o'clock that afternoon, Carol's half-brother Jerry decides to look over by the lake, a swampy area tucked behind some houses a few blocks from the Huttos. This was one of the last places he had to look uh, before it became dark, and he had looked all along the edge of the, the pond. Behind some property under construction, Jerry spots something bulky in the muddy shallows. Even though he can't see her face, he recognizes her clothes. It's the Hutto's worst nightmare. Unfortunately, he was the one that found his sister. Oh my. Jerry races back home to call police and tell his parents the horrific news. His sister Carol won't be coming home. Detective Tom Knapp arrives on the scene as darkness falls. I went over to where the uh, victim was. She was just underwater 
in a real reedy area. So it would have been difficult for anyone to, to see her. She had been turned over face down and had been weighted down to maybe help conceal the body um, with scrap pieces of concrete. From the waist down, she was, she was basically naked. Although at first they can see no obvious fatal injuries, it's pretty clear this was no accident or suicide. Carol was murdered, though perhaps not right here. It appeared that she had been dragged because there were what appeared to be heel marks across the dirt. Investigators follow the heel marks straight back to an abandoned house nearby. There was a fireplace in that house which appeared to have had uh, a fire recently started in it. Let's get somebody down here to bag the contents of the fireplace. Right away. Excellent. There was a large uh, piece of cardboard that had been laid on that concrete, bare concrete floor. Did Carol Hutto spend her final moments in this empty, bleak place? When the house was found, um, her jeans, and I believe her, um, her panties were found in there, a windbreaker, um, and also a pair of tin snips. Mineral spirits and uh, solvents were seized as well. Finally, detectives recover what could be a murder weapon. Hey guys, we've got blood in this two by four. Let's make sure we get this down to evidence. Okay. Clearly, someone has been squatting here, perhaps a vagrant or someone who needed a hideout. Hard to tell until they can get everything analyzed back at the lab. The entire floor in that particular area was vacuumed for any type of trace evidence, whether it's hair, fingernail. Next, detectives return to the swamp to take a closer look at the body. There were some red marks around her neck. It's like we've got strangulation marks on her neck. She had burns, kind of like a chemical burn on her right side, her leg, and then she had a burn between her breasts. The body already shows signs of rigor mortis, which means Carol has been dead for at least 12 hours. But there's an easier way to determine her approximate time of death. Her watch stopped at 10.36 p.m. Still, until an autopsy can be performed, her cause of death is unknown. Since Jerry Irwin is still at the scene, Detective Knapp decides to speak with him first. Jerry, I'm Detective Knapp. I'm sorry for your loss, but I have to ask you a few questions. So when you were looking for Carol, what made you decide to come down to the swamp? We'd searched everywhere else. It was the last place I could think to look. Detective Knapp is familiar with Jerry, and not just because it's a small town. He ran with some of the other kids that did have more serious uh, run-ins with law enforcement. Jerry, I, I know this is hard, uh, and I'm sorry, but I have to ask you this. Can you account for your whereabouts last night? I was with my girlfriend. Detective Knapp thinks it's odd that it would even occur to Jerry to look for Carol in this swampy mess. But he has more pressing matters to attend to before investigating further. He has the terrible task of questioning Carol's grief-stricken parents. I am so sorry for your loss. <laughs> I need to ask you a few questions. It's hard, but Norma does her best to tell detectives about her daughter. Is there 
Anybody that you can think of that may have <laughs> wanted to hurt your daughter? Uh, any ex-boyfriends? No. She never even had a boyfriend. She's, she was such a beautiful person. <laughs> Carol was a bit of a tomboy who loved NASCAR and pro wrestling. Norma says she was a Christian girl, a good girl, who hung out with other good kids, like her friend Lee. So are you sure this isn't too casual? No, I think it looks really cute. I mean, I instantly liked her, instantly. She just seemed so sweet and she had no attitude. She was very open and, and you know, warm and willing to be friends. Loved family, you know, and loved her friends. Unlike Carol, her half-brother Jerry had already had several brushes with the law. So delicately, Detective Knapp asked the Huttos about Carol's relationship with him. How about uh, Jerry, where was he? He came home at 11. What was he doing before that? He was on a date. When you have a homicide, it's normal for law enforcement to start at the inner circle and work its way out. Norma insists that Jerry and Carol were close. They hung out together and shared a passion for pro wrestling. Dude, Andre the Giant would totally rock his world. No way, he's too slow. You know, he's a good-looking guy. See? He always had girlfriends, and everyone liked Jerry. Still, Detective Knapp can't shake the feeling that there's more going on here. Generally, someone is murdered by somebody they know, a family member, close friend. Is it possible that Carol was murdered by her very own half-brother? Coming up, a mystery woman comes forward. She wanted to uh, give us some information about the murder of Carol Hutto. Does she hold the key to solving this heinous crime? You tell me about the burns. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. 
Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Just two weeks before Christmas in 1976, the partially clothed body of 16-year-old Carol Hutto was found in a swampy lake in Largo, Florida. After speaking with the family, detectives turned their attention to retracing Carol's every step on the night of her murder. Carol had received a couple of phone calls that evening. Yeah, I got it, Mom. Hello? Hey, Denise. She told her family she was going to her friend Denise Holt's um, apartment um, in Imperial Palms. When questioned by detectives, Denise Holt confirms that Carol did indeed stop by that night and she seemed her usual happy-go-lucky self. She told Denise that if Carol's mom called looking for her to tell Mrs. Huddle that Carol had just ran up to the store. The detectives follow Carol's likely trail. There's a shortcut that slips through some apartment buildings to the back of the shopping plaza where the drugstore is. Sure enough, the clerk remembers seeing Carol around 8.30. Do you remember her saying where she was going afterwards? Uh, no, she didn't. The only thing, she just exited the store, and that's the last time I've seen her. So where was Carol between 8.30 and 10 p.m.? Detectives widened the investigation to a two-mile radius around the swamp. We talked to a number of folks trying to get information if they saw anything, and there were a couple of people that said that they heard screaming. Dozens of tips pour in from people saying they might have seen or heard Carol that night, but none of them pan out. On December 17th, Carol Hutto is buried in Largo Cemetery. Norma has an inscription etched onto her daughter's tombstone. We miss you, darling. The service is mobbed with friends who loved Carol, and others too. There are police police officers, and I feared they were looking for the killer in that crowd. After the funeral, Detective Knapp and his team step up their hunt for answers, talking to nearly everyone who ever knew Carol. Yeah, we were best friends. One of the kids on their list is Jimmy Kinn, a fellow student and neighbor of Carol's. So how well did you know Carol? Well, I mean, you know, we were neighbors. So not, not well, just neighbors. Jimmy claims he wasn't with Carol that night. Didn't see Carol that night. Did you ever go out on a date with Carol? No. No. Where were you on the night Carol went missing? 
I think I want to talk to my parents. But it so happens that the Kins aren't keen on letting their son talk to police. His parents uh, hired an attorney almost immediately, and they chose not to make a statement at all. But before Detective Knapp can dig deeper, he gets the break he's been hoping for. Detective Knapp. It's a phone call from a woman who lives near the Huttos. Where is he? And she says she knows who the killer is. An individual by the name of Sharon Moreland wanted to uh, give us some information about a person or persons who she believed was involved in the, in the death of Carol Hutto. It was my stepson that did it, Danny. It's shocking, to say the least. A mother turning in her own son? He and his friend were driving in that neighborhood. But in her talks with police, Sharon mentioned some particulars she says she got directly from her son. He told me about the burns. Particulars that only the killer could know. She did know some details that had never been released, like the burn between the breasts. Where is Danny now? He's out of town, but he's supposed to be back tonight or in the morning. Detectives rush to stake out the address. Mobile Unit 2 reporting. No sign of suspect at this time. Hours of waiting turn into days. Detective Knapp. Danny just called me from a bar. Said he got sidetracked. Scored some drugs. But uh, he'll be back tonight. Something's not right. And the detectives know it. What started as a promising lead is looking more slippery than a water moccasin. Listen, Sharon, unless Danny shows up, we're not going to spend any more time on this. It got to the point where we were just calling her bluff, basically. She's sitting there trying to bring you into her world. Truth is, Danny didn't kill that girl by himself. I was there. I helped him. It's a stunning confession, but also highly questionable. And all too soon, it turns into a cruel joke. Son of a bitch. A background check on Sharon Moreland reveals that she has a history of confessing to crimes she never committed. In 1970, she had been arrested um, in Tampa because she claimed she killed her husband, James Moreland Sr. He was alive and well. I can't believe we have wasted hundreds of hours on this crazy one. Right. Detectives soon get some much needed clues in the case when Carol's autopsy report comes in. The medical examiner's report indicated that Carol had been struck in the forehead. There were bruises around her neck, indicative of, of choking or st being strangled. But neither of those methods killed her. The cause of death was actually from drowning. She was actually alive when she was placed in the water and weighed down with the concrete. And despite the fact that she was found naked from the waist down, she was not sexually assaulted. Detective Knapp is determined to get the investigation back on track for Carol's sake. And to him, that means going back to the person who found the body, Carol's half-brother, Jerry. Tell me again exactly where you were that night. I've told you. I was with my girlfriend. We were hanging out with a couple friends. He always seemed to be the type of young man that would tell you things to a point, but not give you the whole story. 
So you didn't see Carol alive at any point around the lake last night? I've already told you I didn't. Police believe Jerry knows more than he's letting on. But without any evidence, they can't file charges. All right, Jerry, that's all I've got for now, but I get the feeling I'm going to have more questions for you. For Norma and Ed Hutto, the suspicion swirling around Jerry only makes everything that much worse. Obviously, they want the, the murderer of their daughter caught, but at the same time, the police think their son did it. They don't believe their son did it, so put him in a very awkward situation. He was so angry that he couldn't have saved his sister's life. And for them to come at him, he was just so devastated, so devastated over that. But Detective Knapp doesn't think he's barking up the wrong tree. And a new tip soon bolsters his suspicions. And, uh, he starts, Jerry starts saying these crazy things about his sister, uh, about how he dragged the body to this lake. Now, admittedly, the source isn't exactly a choir boy. He was in jail for burglary, and he had supposedly been at a party with Jerry. And at this party, Jerry supposedly confessed that he had killed his sister. And are you sure this was his sister he was talking about? That's what he said. I swear to God. Despite the tipster's credibility issues, Detectives bring Jerry into the station. All right, Jerry, let's go over this one more time. Exactly what happened. I already told you. I went out with my girlfriend, okay? We were going at Jerry really hard uh, because obviously he found his sister's body. On my way home, I passed the house by the lake around 1045. But you weren't alone, were you, Jerry? How many times are we going to do this? His whereabouts and what he was doing at that time anyways was really sketchy, but... We still had him in the general vicinity in the time frame that Carol had disappeared. I took my girlfriend home, and on my way home, I passed that house. Jerry insists they've got the wrong guy. I wouldn't touch my sister. And his mother, Norma, never wavers in her support for her son. I remember her specifically saying to me, and they think Jerry did it. Can you believe that? She was very angry, very angry that they we're focusing on Jerry. To clear his name, Jerry agrees to provide hair samples to compare with those found at the crime scene. Take whatever you want. I didn't kill my sister. We only found one vacuumed hair sample from the actual crime scene inside the house that was under construction. Trouble is, with so few hairs from the crime scene, it's near impossible to tell if Jerry's a match. And in 1978, DNA testing only happens in science fiction novels. Were you in the house that night with your sister? No. So Jerry agrees to take a polygraph test. Did you try Lie detectors were not admissible in Florida courts at that time. They wouldn't be doing it to try to eliminate suspects, narrow down their pool of suspects. Did you kill your sister in the house that night? No. There were, were no indications of deception in the series of questions that were asked. No. Jerry passes the polygraph with flying colors. But for detectives, doubts linger. There is tunnel vision. You don't see anything else. You, know, you say, that's my suspect, that's my criminal, and that's what I'm going after. Without any real evidence to support their suspicions, detectives have to let Jerry go. But everyone in town knows they've been looking at him. 
if you asked anybody in the department that had been around at that time, the first thing they said was, oh, the brother did it. Meanwhile, the Largo Police Department turns their focus to other cases, and the hunt for Carol's killer goes ice cold for 18 years. Finally, fate steps in. In March of 1994, Officer Brad Hoyes is injured in the line of duty and forced to take a desk job. He's given a special assignment by the new head of detectives, Mike Short. Hey, Brad, come with me. Got something I want to show you. I didn't have any preconception because I didn't live there. I didn't work there. I knew nothing of the case um, until Detective Short handed it to me. This is our oldest unsolved homicide. Why don't you take a look at it? Yes, sir. See what I can do. Hoyes barely begins sorting through the case file when, in a bizarre coincidence, he gets a tip out of the blue. This is Officer Hoyes. I opened the case, I think it was only two days later, I get a phone call from a girl or lady in Germany who was a friend of Carol's. The woman, married to a serviceman and sure? living overseas, has just read an article about a serial killer's arrest in Florida. Frank Potts had been arrested in Polk County, Florida, believed to be a serial killer. She saw his picture and called and said, that's the guy I think killed Carol Huddle because two nights before Carol was murdered, Frank Potts tried to force me or kidnap me. Did you ever report this? The woman says she was 16 at the time, the same age as Carol. Okay, tell me what happened that night. While out walking one evening, a van pulled up and a man reached out to grab her. She managed to fight him off and run. Obviously, because it was a brand new lead, we had, to, we had to look at Frank Potts. I found he had been in Pinellas County in 1974, two years before Carol was murdered. He had been cited for illegal fishing. Was he there in 1976 or not? We are not sure. Looking for answers, Hoyes and Detective Short take a trip over to nearby Polk County. After we talked with the Polk County Sheriff's Department, it seemed like this just wasn't Frank's type of crime. Um, the method of, of uh, the murder, the death, wasn't his M.O. It just didn't seem like Frank Potts. But on the way home, Officer Hoyes tells Detective Short about another discovery he's made while reviewing the case file. We really had something back there. Yeah. yeah, there's something I wanted to tell you about. Carol's journal. Hoyes has found something in Carol's journal that apparently was overlooked in the original investigation. I said, hey, Mike, what if I told you that in Carol's journal, there's an entry about her and Jimmy always going to the lake and they always walk there. Jimmy, as in Jimmy Ken, the boy whose parents lawyered up all those years ago before they could ask him any questions. He looked at that diary with new eyes and he saw things in what Carol Hutto was writing that nobody else had ever seen. What Brad Hoyes discovers could be the key to breaking this case. Carol had a secret crush on a boy named Jimmy Ken, and apparently she acted on it. They would meet up for trysts, but never told anyone. He told her she couldn't tell anybody. And Carol, in fear of losing Jimmy's affections, decided she'd keep her mouth shut and not tell anybody except her journal and her diary. 
Her neighbor, Jimmy, was a popular kid, an athlete, and a talented trumpet player. Blonde, blue-eyed, slender guy, and, you know, handsome. Captain of the swim team, who wouldn't like that? According to her diary, Carol and Jimmy had a secret meeting spot down by the swamp behind the house under construction. And she wrote in there, and Jimmy doesn't count because all we ever do is go to the lake and we always walk there. And when I read those words, I said, that's our guy. He called her in the brief the statement Jimmy made to detectives all those years ago, he claimed he and Carol were only acquaintances. Well, I mean, no, we were neighbors. So not, not well, just neighbors. He acts like he hardly knows Carol. And yet in her diary, it's obviously he knows her a lot better than he's admitting. No, I think I want to talk to my parents. He clammed up right away and his folks got him an attorney, so we couldn't get any statements from him. Carol was put in the water, which potentially destroyed evidence. And anything that we collected, we had no way to tie to Jimmy. To help them build some kind of case, Detective Short and Officer Hoyes seek help from a group of FBI criminal profilers. These are some of the best people in the business. Why not let's see what they think? And let's say let them come up with a profile and see if it fits our suspect. Presented with just the facts, the profilers develop a very interesting portrait of Carol Hutto's killer. 1621. We think that he was athletic. You think uh, he knew the victim? Quite possibly did. And he was a loner. It would be somebody that was within walking distance of the crime. If they were into sports, they would be an individual sport, wouldn't be a team sport. It would be uh, the person's first, um, if not only, major crime and definitely their first homicide. It's a perfect fit for Carol Hutto's secret love, Jimmy Kin. The question is, 18 years later, where is he? We talked to the, uh, the FBI office right there in Largo. They found that Jimmy Ken was in the, the Navy, that he was on nuclear submarines, and that he was currently in port. In July 1994, Detective Mike Short travels to Groton, Connecticut, where Petty Officer James Ken is now stationed. You remember Carol Hutto? Well, that was a long time ago. Uh, I guess so. Was she dating anybody or seeing anybody in particular? Man, I don't know if she was seeing anybody steady or anything like that. Look, we know that you and Carol Hutto had a secret relationship and that you'd meet at the lake. We know that. Confronted with the account from Carol's diary, Jimmy starts to change his story. And I don't really remember. It was a long time ago. I don't even remember the area. Uh, I think I did call her. Jimmy admitted to Detective Short that he had indeed called Carol not once but twice that evening that he had met with her a little after the time she left the house. What I want to know 
is were you guys okay? Was she okay when you left? Yeah. It's a critical moment in the interrogation. By Jimmy's own admission, they now have him with Carol on the night she was killed. Would you be willing to take a polygraph test? Yeah, absolutely. The next day, uh, Detective Short is told that he has obtained a lawyer and that any more further contact with Jimmy Ken would have to go through his attorney. We felt that that was our only shot and we didn't, we didn't score on that one. Largo police are convinced they've finally found Carol's killer, but with no physical evidence to work with and a hostile suspect, it's starting to look like Jimmy Ken just might get away with it. So Officer Hoyes goes back to the evidence. The only really unanswered question I had um, on this case was what caused the burn between Carol's breasts and what caused the burn to her, her leg. The burn on Carol's leg is a chemical burn, likely caused by the mineral spirits recovered in the house. But that second burn has an odd shape. Then Officer Hoyes notices something else recovered from the scene, a pair of tin snips. I looked at the photograph of the, the burn between her breasts and it came to me that the tin snips are what caused this burn. But why? Why would the killer burn her? The burn was either a test of death to see if she was dead or it was torture. It's a gruesome thought, but it might explain the mystery of why, though she was naked from the waist down, her autopsy showed no sign of sexual assault. Could Jimmy have tortured Carol for refusing to give in to him? He wanted to have sex with her, and she adamantly did not. But police still have no physical evidence tying Jimmy Ken to the scene. They need a confession. In July of 1998, 22 years after Carol was murdered, Detective Short returns to the Navy base in Groton to take one more shot at Jimmy Ken. Mike went back and uh, met with the investigators from the Navy who then conducted a, an interrogation or an interview of Jimmy again. Jim, you're ready to put this behind you. It's time, it's time for everybody. It's simple, Jim. Either you're sorry or you did it intentionally. That's all I'm asking. They present it to him as we know it was an accident. It was an accident, wasn't it? For 30 minutes, Jimmy stonewalls them, not uttering a word. And then he breaks. Jim, are you sorry you killed Carol? You're sorry, aren't you? I can see you're sorry, Jim. <laughs> we know that you didn't mean for this to happen, did you? running, playing around, and she tripped and fell. Carol. Okay, what happened then? She was unconscious, and, uh, and I, uh, I couldn't hear her breathing or her heartbeat or anything. Carol. And then what happened? I took her clothes off. It's I took her down to the lake. <laughs> it's a confession of sorts. 
but investigators aren't buying his accidental fall story. It just doesn't add up. Jimmy Kinn never admits to every detail, but Largo detectives are eventually able to piece together what actually happened on December 13th, 1976. He basically said that they had met in that particular house under construction. And he set up this nice little bedroom scene, so to speak. It was cold, tried to start a fire. They had put a piece of cardboard on the floor. I saw you out sitting at home room today. Yeah. That was great. And he was kissing her and vice versa. But she did not want to have sex, and apparently he was forcing her to have sex. Stop. Okay. Stop. Stop it. Stop and she started to scream. It's okay. And she had a very loud voice. And um, I think Jimmy wanted to silence those screams, so he hit her in the head with a two by four. Carol? The marks on Carol's neck showed that she also was strangled. He didn't admit to strangling her. He didn't admit to burning her. He didn't admit to killing her. And the truth is, Carol was still alive when he lugged her out of that house to the muddy swamp. He thought she was dead, and he proceeded to drag her out to the uh, marshy pond area and then put the concrete blocks on her. But when he placed her in the water, he, that's when he killed her. And placing her in the water was not an accident. And I think that's what makes it premeditated. He thought it through. What can I do to make sure that she never comes out of this pond? This is a person who just wanted to be loved. She wanted to be loved, and he took that and destroyed it. For almost 22 years, Carol Hutto's family and friends have been shattered by the senselessness and brutality of Carol's death. To Carol's half-brother, it had to have been even more than devastating because he was a suspect, and not just initially but for years and years and years. Officer Hoyes makes a point of paying Jerry Irwin a visit to apologize for the time he had to live under a cloud of suspicion for a murder he didn't commit. You could see the, the anger in Jerry's eyes. You know, this is, we're the guys that have been accusing him of this for all these years. We know you didn't kill your sister. And I thought he was gonna start crying. In February, 2000, Jimmy Kinn is tried and convicted by a Florida court for the first-degree murder of Carol Hutto. He is sentenced to life in prison. For Carol's loved ones, it's little consolation. I miss her laughter. She was an incredible individual, and, I, and it was a great loss to, to, to me to lose her as, as, as such an endeared friend. In the end, it was Carol's own words from beyond the grave and the sympathetic investigator who took the time to read them that brought her killer to justice. Some people might think it sounds corny, but I think everything happens for a reason. And I never understood why I had been injured and had to give up a career I loved. But maybe it was so I would work the case and the case would be solved. 
I don't know. I just know I'm glad I could help. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.